we say, yes, God, slay them. But yes, God, stay here. Stay with me and let me dwell with you no matter what is going on in my life or in my world, God. Teach me to love and be grateful for the tower that you are. With that in mind, let's worship and declare him as our one and only tower for ourselves and for a world that is looking for a tower in the midst of uncertainty and despair and hopelessness. Let this tower be a beacon to all that they can run to him and find their peace. There's just some problems only God can fix. There'll be some moments that just don't make sense. I've seen it happen time and time again. There's just some problems only God can fix. There's just some battles flesh and blood can't win. There'll be some moments that just don't make sense I can't see it now but I'm still convinced that there's just some problems only God can fix not by power not by might but by the spirit of the living spirit of the living
you, Lord. Thank you. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, we love you. My whole world, Lord God. Daddy, hear the desperation. Hear the desperate cry of your children today. My whole world, Lord God. Everything that it touches. Everything my soul tries to control. Everything my worry tries to hold on to. Everything my stress tries to change. In the name of Jesus, we submit it all to you. The areas of brokenness that we can't fix on our own. The sickness whose doctor report says are impossible. The finances that say empty. The relationship that says beyond reproach, beyond repair. Daddy, our whole world, everything we've got, we place in your hands. I surrender every moment. I surrender every worry. I surrender every stress. I surrender every area I'm trying to control. I, I surrender everything that I want to hold back. I, I surrender, Lord God, everything I want to keep within my own grasp. I surrender. Jesus, come. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Manifest it in this place in power. Manifest it in glory today, Lord God. Father, where there's sickness, let there be health. Where there's lack, let there be provision, Lord God. Where there's depression, let there be joy. Where there's worry, let there be peace in the name of Jesus. Father, we believe you are the healer. You're the provider. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Jesus, there is none like you. So let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in this place today, in, in our lives, in our nation, in our world, as it is in heaven. Because we can't control one bit of it. But you are our rock and our refuge, our strong tower. In you, we find life and hope and peace forevermore. In Jesus' name. And together we say, so be it. Amen and amen. Come on, can we give God some praise? Just give him a moment of praise for how good he is, how worthy he is. Father, we love you. You're worthy. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the cross, for forgiveness, for wholeness, for help, for hope, Lord God. In a dark world, you're the light of it all. We give you glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Woo, what a great God. Come on, church. What a great God we serve. I love what Jake said when we started worship, and maybe you weren't here for that, but when he talked about God being a tower, and a tower being there for not just a battle, but for a siege. Because I don't know about you, there are some things in my life I feel are a battle. There are some things in my life that I feel are just a skirmish, right? They're here, they're there, they're gone, right? And there's the battle, it takes a little longer. Then there are some things in my life that are sieges that set up camp and the enemy wants to choke me out. He wants to choke out our joy, our hope, our faith. He wants to choke it out. That's why we need God to be our rock and our refuge, our strong tower. In Him, 
we find grace and peace in Him. I have to remind myself of this all the time. Because I don't know about you, but I want Jesus' manifested power to show up instantly. Anybody, anybody, anybody like instant coffee Jesus, right? You just kind of, you know, you just throw in the hot water prayer, right? I, 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 I stirred in some creamer of, of hope and then boom, instant. Well, no, thank you. That would be awesome, Margo, right? It would be awesome. It's like going to Starbucks and saying, hey, well, what do you want? Yeah, this is it. Boom, here you go. There it is. It's awesome. Fantastic. But they will never get it right. That's just, that's. And look, there are times. We believe it. There's times my God heals instantly. There's times there are instant breakthroughs. Like there's testimony after testimony. And then there are times when Abraham and Sarah had to wait year after year after year after year, after impossibility, 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 before Isaac was born. They were under siege. But my God was still the provider. May that be our prayer today. Daddy, whether it is a skirmish that I face today, a battle I face today, or a siege I face today, I'm proclaiming to my soul and I'm proclaiming to the enemy, you are my provider. Daddy, Jesus, you are our provider. You, whether it's a skirmish, a battle, or a siege, Jesus, you are our provider. Soul, shut up. So you better get in line with Jesus because so come and bless the Lord with me. Come and sing his praise. Come and give him thanks before the answer comes because Jesus is our provider. Jesus. And church, if you are here, I want to let you know that's what this church is about. We've come to trust Jesus. Not in good inspiration or good, just good worship or good, we're here to trust Jesus. So I am thankful that you're here today. Hey, thank you for showing up today. Thank you for coming and being here on this first weekend of February. If you are a guest, thank you for being here. If this is your first or second time, welcome to Connect Church. It is so good to have you in the house. We love that you're here. It's so exciting. Uh, we're, we're really glad that you, you made it in today. want to let you know that there's going to be uh, a QR code up on the screens. You can find out a little bit more about Connect, but more importantly, we would love to find out a little bit more about you because your story and your life, it matters. It matters. The Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, which is already done, and the word of our testimony, helping each other see how God works in our lives. So if you are, if this is your first or second time, thank you for being here. I want to give a shout out to everybody who's online today as well. We love you guys. Thanks for checking in. So many of you are so faithful online. We know, look, we're praying for you. Look, I know that so many of you are, are under the weather right now. And, and uh, we're, we, 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 we feel it. We know it. Uh, we're just, church, will you just stretch out your hand towards Father, in the name of Jesus, we're praying for every person who is sick, who's going through it right now. 
Father, who doesn't get to be in this house today for those reasons and in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you are in their house with them. You're in that hospital room with them. You're in that recovery room with them, Lord God. You're in that sick bed with them. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you manifest your healing on their body today because the same Jesus that is here is the same Jesus that is there. Let the blood of Jesus Christ by your stripes they are healed in Jesus' name. We we, 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 we pray that over those who are listening now. We're praying over those who will be listening as you are driving in the car, as you're watching this later on. My God is a God outside of time and space, and His prayer, His power works no matter when or where we are. So in the name of Jesus, we bind you to the perfect health of Jesus Christ that He purchased on the cross. And we praise Him in advance for the healing that's on its way. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, we thank you guys even for tuning in, though. Thank you. Hey, one of the things that we uh, one of the things that we love here um, is uh, is children and our next and, and this generation that uh, we're 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 growing up. But before Pastor Kevin sneaks out the door, because we have two amazing uh, children's pastors here, Pastor Kevin and Pastor Lisa are amazing men and women. Listen, they're not just great because they're great with kids. There are a lot of people that are great with kids. SpongeBob, come on somebody, is great with kids. Barney, I don't even know if he's still allowed, was great with kids. Well, there's a difference between being great with kids and being people of faith who can actually breathe that into kids. And if you're a parent in this room, that's what, that's what they're doing. This is not babysitting. This is a man and a woman who wants to breathe faith into your children and faith into you as parents so that we can raise up generations to touch generations. God is a generational God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's what we want to see here as well. And I know you're going to sneak out, but this week happens to be Pastor Kevin's birthday, by the way. So we wanted to wish him a very happy, happy birthday, brother. I love you. I love that picture, too. Kevin, by the way, he's a basketball coach, too. He, 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 he coaches basketball. Uh, he was telling us the other day how he, it's, it, their, their team's success is all because of him. He just said, look, I, teaching them all everything I know, how to dunk on, a, on an eight-foot net. It's awesome. But no, truly, Kevin, like, I, dude, I love him, bro. Like, truly, he is, one of the, he is one of the kindest. He is one of the most wise people that I know. Like, truly, Kevin, we'll, we'll, we'll just be sitting around. We'll be talking about sports or football or F1 or something stupid. And Kevin will drop a wisdom bomb, like, boom. And, like, he doesn't even know. It's just like, boom. And you're like, I'm, like, being undone. And Kev's like, hey, did you see who won the game the other day? And I'm like, you just killed me with that wisdom. It, it's brilliant. Wandered in here one Christmas Eve, Eve night. Gave his life to Jesus and never left. He is a faithful son to the house of God. I am honored to not just be your spiritual father. I'm honored more to be your friend. Thank you, Kevin. We love you, dude. Happy birthday, buddy. Hey, kiddos, give them a hand as they're following Pastor Kevin out. And as you're being seated, give somebody next to you a high five. Tom, it's great to see him here at church today.
Thanks, buddy. Got Jake doing the heavy lifting today. That's right. 28 versus plus 50. By the way, before we hop in, I think it's important as a community of faith that we actually stop and celebrate those moments in people's lives, like birthdays. Especially people who are pouring into the life of the house. Just to stop and say, Kev, we see you. Can I encourage you? Even if you don't know him, give him a high five on the way out today. Tell him you're going to be praying for him for his birthday. And pray, it's Tuesday. And pray for him. Take five minutes out of your day and say, God, this man is a pillar in the house. Which means he is under attack by the enemy. His family is under attack. He's sowing so let him reap a hundredfold. Your word says he can could, he could, he could reap 30, 60, 100. I pray hundredfold blessing on his life. Let's just pray that. Don't you want him praying that for you? Yeah. Right? Don't, like, don't we want people praying that for us? Yeah. All right, three people. Three people want a hundredfold blessing. Three people want blessing of God. Well, are you ready for the word today? Awesome. Why don't you open up with me since you have your Bible. We're going to continue, uh, uh, we're, we're going to continue in a series we started um, called That's the Question, talking about the questions of God, uh, questions asked to Jesus. And since you brought your Bible, why don't you open up with me to uh, Mark chapter 14. And I'm going to get this thing to work up here in just a second if I can, and I don't know why it's not working. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. I love technology. Mark chapter 14. Uh, Mark is the, the second book of the, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's written by, look, Mark is, Mark is written by uh, Peter. It's Peter's gospel, at least that's what we believe, and it's, it's, Mark is his amanuensis. Mark is his uh, secretary in writing this out, okay? Um, so what you're hearing is Peter's words. And if you need a title for today's message, it's, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Come on, how many times a day do we ask ourselves that question? Is it worth it? I mean, in, 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 in questions big and small, right? We're asking that question. Like, is this, donut, is this donut worth it? And the answer is always yes. The answer is always yes, right? Is it worth it, right? Is, is, uh, is continuing to put up with this toxic relationship worth it? Is risking breaking the speed limit to get to where you're going on time? worth it? Is going through the process of forgiving that person who hurt you worth it? Is staying with my spouse worth it? Is coming to church worth it? We are faced constantly. The truth is almost every decision that we make is a value proposition decision. It's what do I get in return? Is it worth the price I have to pay for it? Is what I get in return worth the price I have to pay for it? From where I buy my groceries to the groceries that I buy, we are making value proposition decisions. And all of these decisions are affected by two factors at least. The value we place on the object that we're receiving and the amount of resource it will cost us to obtain it. What will it cost us? Now, this may not be such a big deal when we're talking about groceries or donuts, but the truth is, the issue is, that this type of decision-making, value proposition decision-making, influences our spiritual lives as well. 
When it comes to the decisions that we make about following or living out the kingdom of God, about loving God with everything, with everything, is it worth the price? Seeking first the kingdom of God, is that worth the price? Is forgiving and loving and worshiping and giving and loving each other and loving our enemies and extending mercy and living within the godly boundaries and healthy relationships is sharing... Is sharing the gospel with others. Is it what we all are asking ourselves the question, is it worth it? Is it worth the price? In this text that we're going to look at, Jesus finds himself eating dinner at the home of a leper. He has to ask himself the question, is that worth it? Is it worth what other people are going to think? A woman anoints him at this dinner with an extravagant flask of perfume as an act of worship, and she had to ask herself the question, is it worth it? Others who sat around the table watching her doing it are asking them, is acting like that really worth it? And like them, my friends, you and I are sitting around a table today, and this week we'll be sitting around a conference table or a friendship table or a lifestyle uh, table, and we will be forced to ask the question, is responding to Jesus with extravagant worship, with all I've got, with, with love and with holiness, is it really worth it? Is it worth it? I'm not talking about theologically, I'm talking about making the choices in reality that cost you something at that table or in that friendship or at that boardroom or in this church. The Bible says in Mark chapter 14, verse 3, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke it of the flask and poured it over his head. She anointed him. There were some there who said amongst themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this, mo uh, for this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. And my friends, that really is the question. How do we make our lives, how do we make our choices beautiful things on a daily basis that bless Jesus? How do we make our daily choices beautiful things that bless Jesus? Come on, it's so beautiful how we get to see, before we even go any deeper, the heartbeat of Jesus in this text, right? Because in context, it's three days before the cross, He's counting time down here. It's three days before the cross, and here he is at the house of a leper. Now, Simon does not still have leprosy, or none of them could be there. It would be illegal for them to be there because lepers were not allowed in community. They had to be outside of community, leper colonies. They had to be outside of community, and anyone who would come in contact with them would be unclean. So Simon does not still have leprosy, right, at this moment. But Simon was still carrying the stigma of his past. Come on, how many of us understand that? How many of us are carrying the stigma from our worst public moment? Because people love it. People love to remind you 
of your worst public moment. Why do they love that? Because it makes them, it makes us feel better about ourselves because it's not that we don't have bad, bad moments. It's just that our bad moments, come on somebody, we're done in private and not done in public. I'm all right because look at what they did. But what makes it worse is when we identify ourselves from that same place. I can't tell you how many people have counseled over the many years that even years after, come on, years after whatever leprosy they had is gone, they still identify themselves as the leper. As the leper. But this is why Jesus comes. It's why he came that night and it's why he comes this morning to forgive us, to cleanse us, to re-identify us. Romans 8, 1 says, now there is no condemnation. No, not some, not a little, not just put. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. The reality is Jesus' presence at that table and his choice to be there was a loud proclamation of his love and acceptance of Simon. And it should be for us. Jesus chose to sit at that table. Jesus chose to go to that house and treat Simon like an equal. He didn't care what stigma people gave him. Do you know why this is so important to us? Why we get this revelation? Because we are all have leprosy. All of every person in the world is walking around with spiritual leprosy. Spiritual leprosy, leprosy is a a disease of the flesh that makes us numb to certain things and it kills us from the inside out. And when it comes up against the law of God, it makes everyone who has leprosy unclean and unable to be intimate with God. We are all Simon the leper. So there's no more, when that's Sally the seductress's house, that's Carl the crook's house, come on somebody. That's not how God works. The challenge, though, is in our modern world of value proposition Christianity. And that's what we are having in the church world today. We are faced with value proposition Christianity. What do I mean by that? Well, this church has this, and that church doesn't have that, and this program can give me that versus that program can give me that. And this worship style fits me better than that worship style fits me. In our value proposition Christianity, we are forced to ask ourselves the question, is the seat we've chosen at the table worth it? Because there are two seats, my friends, at every table. The seat of valuing self over the Savior, which is big and comfy and has lots of room for us to kick back and enjoy and still be here. Or the chair of choosing the Savior over myself. A little less comfortable. A little more hard on my booty. But allows me to see life from a different perspective. And allows me to give him glory rather than receive glory for being here. And I'm not talking about lost people and found people. I'm talking about believers. 
This is the struggle for believers between believing and being a disciple. This is the battleground that we have. We are all making value propositions on what chair we are going to sit in on any given day, in any given conversation, in any given conflict, in any given challenge that we face. We're making a value proposition. Is losing this friendship worth it? Is honoring Jesus more important than keeping mama happy? Because both chairs have perceived value to us. So let's just take a few moments and as believers, maybe realize we have given some value to the wrong chair and given some value to the wrong things that keep us in the wrong chair. Because when sitting in the chair of self, there is a value to keeping things private. Private. And again, I'm talking to us about people who believe. Private, right? She shouldn't have done that here. It's fine for her to do that, but she should have done that in private. That, no, there's no PDA here. She should, she should have just, that's between she and Jesus. That's a private moment. We see this, by the way, in the Bible, in a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. In, in, in John chapter 19, verse 38, we've talked about this before, but the Bible says that Joseph was a believer of Jesus, but in secret because he feared the crowd. He feared his culture. He feared the, he feared the critics. So he, he kept everything a secret. The truth is, my friends, our soul believes that secrecy has a value to it. Secrecy has a value. Why? Because it keeps, us, it keeps us in control of how much we want to share, how much we want to make public, how much of the curtains we want to draw shut, and how much of the curtains we want to leave open. And that sounds appealing to us because after all, we should be able, we should be able to have a private life. We should be able to have a private life, but we have made a private life and a secret life synonymous. They are not the same things. When we, keep the sh when we keep areas of our soul with the blinds closed, it keeps Jesus hidden from others from that place and allows portions of our soul, portions of our life to stay and remain in darkness on purpose. We allow portions of our life to remain in darkness on purpose. But he already went through all the hell for that. He went through the pain for that. He went through the judgment for it. He went through and paid the price for its breakthrough, for its freedom, for its health, for its wholeness, for its restoration, for its regeneration. He already did that. And we are saying, I know you died for it, but I value secrecy more than I value health. Galatians 5 says it is for freedom that Christ came to set me free. The issue is, if we're honest with ourselves, many of us have a culture and come from cultures of secrecy. What's done in this house stays in this house, right? We don't tell anybody else our business. Well, we have a culture of it. What, what's done in Vegas stays in Vegas. Right? And everybody, we're all like, oh, that commercial's funny. Yeah, really? Is that really good marriage advice? 
Like, is that what you would... Like, how is this going to work? If I go to Danielle and I'm like, yo, D, I'm going to Vegas this week. But you know, baby, what's done in Vegas stays in Vegas. She's going to say, then you might as well stay in Vegas. <laughs> right? Because this secrecy thing don't work out. How much more so with God? In that intimate relationship. The challenge is that that becomes the tool. Secrecy becomes a tool that shapes the chair that we're going to sit in. Because it gives higher value to secrecy than it does to holiness. Because whatever is exposed to the light loses the allure of the darkness. When the reality is when Joseph chooses the different chair, he chooses the different chair. He, 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 he takes the body of Jesus Christ. He goes to Pilate and he says, I'm going to take the body. Give me the body. And he comes out of the shadows. He, he comes out of the shadows. His relationship of intimacy with Jesus changes. He gets the blood of Jesus all over him. He experiences things with Jesus he never could experience by just being a spectator on the outside. There's a different level of holiness there's a different level of love there's a different level of intimacy with Jesus that he has when he comes out of the shadows yes it exposes him it exposes him to the critics it exposes him to condemnation from his friends it exposes him to the possibility of being kicked out of the Sanhedrin but it positions him to honor Jesus it positions him to have a different relationship with holiness himself and isn't that what we've been talking about in 1 Corinthians 6.20? We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God. Honor him with everything we've got. Choose the higher chair. When we're choosing this, the, the, the chair of self, there's a value of believing, found in believing but not submitting. There was another Disciple at that table that night, his name was Judas. He believed in Jesus, but he definitely was not submitted to Jesus. And the value in that is in believing, we get all of the self-accolades that believing brings our way without any of the costly sacrifices to get it. Right? Do you remember, like in school, when you were in school and you knew the right answer, the teacher asked the question, you knew the right answer, even if you weren't called on or didn't raise your hand, you felt good about yourself. You're like, that's right, I knew that. I knew that. I knew that. I knew it. Knowing it gives me the good feeling. Or, or, or if you're a parent, come on, I know none of your parents have ever done this. When you are hearing your spouse correct the kiddos on something that you remain silent on, but you were like, yep, I knew I was right. I knew they shouldn't have done that. That's right. I knew I was right. You didn't take the risk. Come on, somebody. You didn't take the risk of raising your hand. You didn't take the risk of losing or having some friction with your kid. Come on, somebody. But you felt better about yourself because you knew you were right. Isn't that what church can do to it for us as well? It gives us a feeling that I'm, I'm doing good because I know what's good and I'm seen as good, but I don't have to take the risk of the self-sacrifice to be that way. The trap is, my friends, that believing gives us the feeling of being on the right track while still not submitting enables us to do our best to move our own agenda forward in the name of God. In the name of God. Judas, Judas was a zealot. He wanted, to get, he wanted to get Rome out. I mean, of course, that was for God. 
I need to get Rome out of Israel. Of course, it, was, it wasn't for himself at all. It wasn't for his place of power or for prosperity or for position whatsoever. He wasn't even thinking about having a position in the new government. It wasn't for his benefit at all. It was all for God. The truth is our souls, though, respond to what they value the most in the highest times of challenge. When we face challenge, our soul responds to what it values the most. Here's the truth. And I struggle with this. I wrestle with it. Maybe some of you do too as well. My soul values being right. Go and say amen. It's all right. My soul, I was talking to my wife. My soul values being right at times over doing right. I will argue I will give example after example after example. I will intellectually bully you my way to proving I'm right. Do you know why? Because I don't want to change. I don't want to sacrifice because I'm good. I know better. But the issue is our agendas are revealed when true worship is present. When the word is present, when prayer is present, that's why church is dangerous because we get around stuff like this and our soul starts to struggle with the challenge of what God is calling us to. And we're like, whoa, pump the brakes on that. That's a little over the top. Did you see what happened to Judas when true worship broke out in that moment? When true worship showed up, what was inside of Judas came out of Judas, and he saw what he valued most as being wasted. Money, 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 money. He said, I see money being wasted. That's why when the word comes and the spirit starts to move and truth is brought into the moment, our soul agendas begin to respond. The issue is, His soul valued what the perfume was worth more than the worth the perfume brought to Jesus. Do you realize you can do that with worship? I like this song better than that song, but it ain't about your song at all. Oh, I got one amen. We worship him. It's about him. It's not about the worth of the perfume. It's about the worth the perfume brings to Jesus. The Bible says he saw that and his agenda got all crunchy and raunchy. And verse 10 says he goes out and makes a deal to sell out Jesus to the Pharisees. He tries to move his agenda forward his way. He believes in Jesus, but he's not submitted to the cause. If he's not going to get Rome out, he can at least get rich by some Roman coins. But our agenda, just like his agenda, always leads to death because there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death, Proverbs 14 says. The real tragedy is through finally choosing the wrong chair, the chair of self. He missed giving Jesus the opportunity to reveal the resurrected hope found in Jesus' agenda. See, Jesus didn't just want to live for the opportunity to reveal himself to us on the cross. Jesus wanted to reveal who he is through the resurrection. 
So when we're valuing the Savior over himself, it would have given Jesus the opportunity to reveal that to him, to Judas, and through Judas, to the world that Judas walked in. I wonder now, on the other side of that rope, was that 30 pieces of silver really worth it? How often, when we've hung ourselves because we haven't actually sat in the right chair in that relationship or that thinking or that life, was what we got out of it really worth it when it kills us in the end? The problem continues. When, the, that when we recognize our soul thinks that there's value to being in the crowd but not part of the gang. There was a bunch of them at that table that night, I think, who valued being in the crowd. They loved the honor of being invited to be there with Jesus, didn't they? But they definitely didn't love the cost of honoring Jesus. There was another believer who did this as well. His name was Nicodemus. He came to Jesus, John chapter 3 says that he came to Jesus at night. He didn't mind being seen in the crowd, but he didn't want to be identified as part of the gang. And see, this is where our soul finds value in this concept. Because the value to the soul is this, we get all the benefits of the connection without any of the cost of the conflict. We don't have to have any conflict. Because we're not really connected. We're, we're, we, were just, we were just in the crowd. That means when Jesus is turning bread and, uh, and fish and bread and, and to feed the thousand, we get the food. We get to see the miracles. We get the good teaching. We get some good preaching. We get some good worship. But because we really aren't affiliated, we're not really connected. That's not really what I do or I, then we don't have any conflict that we have to work through. The reality is, my friends, this is what church can become for us. But it's what discipleship can't be for us. Because discipleship demands I wear my colors. It demands me part, being part of the gang. The truth is, and some of us were just talking about this the other day, the hard truth in as being identified as evangelical Christianity in the American world today is that that's not always a good thing, right? Because of perception and sometimes because of realities, right? The term evangelical Christian has come to mean right-wing, closed-mind, MAGA-hat-wearing, racist extremists who hate everybody but Trump, come on somebody, who see America as God's chosen country and an enemy in everyone else. And the truth of that matter is, there's some reality in that. There are reasons why people think that. But real evangelical Christianity, real evangelical Christianity, real evangelical Christianity is about sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with people because in it there is hope and there is life and there's answers for the pain. I believe what Paul says in Romans 1.16 that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer for every person and it's the power of God to save our world. I believe what Jesus said in John 14.6 is true that he is the only way, the only truth, the only life. That's right. He is the only answer, the only way to get to the Father is through the 
sacrifice of the cross. I believe, 2 Timothy 3.16, that the word of God is inspired. It is God-breathed. It is accurate and authentic, and it is everything I need for faith in life, even when it makes me uncomfortable. I believe also in Amos 5.24 that justice should roll like a river and righteousness should roll like a never-ending stream for every race, for every color, for every gender in our world. And no, I'm not a Republican and I'm not a Democrat and I don't believe that any person in the White House can save our country, but I do believe that Jesus is the rightful King of Kings and Lord of Lords and he deserves all my praise. And I am not just part of the crowd, I am part of his crew. If that makes you uncomfortable, you have to ask the question, why? Because all I gave you was Jesus. All I gave you was Jesus. He's my only hope. Like, you're all going to have to vote this year. But my hope ain't in an election. My hope ain't in the agenda of a party. They're all blinded by the, king, by the God of this age. I've got one king. I'm going to serve him to the day that I die. And at the end, all I can hope is that when I sit in his chair and I live my life oh, to bring him praise, that when I'm done with it and he sees me and I run to him and he looks in my eyes, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's all. That's all. That's the only salvation. And if that makes me closed-minded, that's okay. Because I'm not closed-minded, I am single-minded that without Jesus, there is no hope. Don't get me wrong. I'm not looking for a fight, but I ain't gonna be cowering in the darkness like Nicodemus either. If we want the benefits of being in the club, we have to pay the dues of the club. Jesus said in Luke 14, verse 28, if you wanna be my disciple, you gotta count the cost. There's a cost to this bad boy. But when we consider the cost, and we still say yes, it is a loud proclamation of Jesus, of our love for him, that we are not afraid to show him some PDA, come on, some public displays of adoration. Like the woman at this table, we are saying to Jesus, we're all in. But, my friends, we're almost home. When I'm sitting in the chair of self, there's a value in minimizing the actions of others. Come on, there's a crowd here at this table, mostly of Jesus' followers, by the way, who are doing nothing and receiving everything. Yet they had to, something to say about someone who was doing what they were not doing. Does that sound familiar at all? The truth is, the value of this is that minimizing others lowers the standard of what our sacrifice can look like. I mean, come on, what is she really doing? I mean, really? That's way over the top, lady. And it allows our soul, our soul to stay just above the bottom. That's way over the top. That worship, that giving, that serving, that way you're way over the top. Yup, and my soul says, good, all I have to do is stay just above the, just above the bottom. Did you ever have somebody say to you, that's the least I could do? Like, that's a good thing. Don't ever say that. This is the least I could do. <laughs> then why did you do it? Right? But sometimes I feel that way when we're talking about God. Well, God, this is the least I could do for everything you've done for me. Yeah. That's just above the bottom. 
It's like when people minimize what Mother Teresa's work. Like all that Mother Teresa did like blows my mind, right? And I know because people are like, well, I don't even know if she's saved. She believes some crazy stuff. Do you know who she believes? Did you ever read some of her writings? She believes, I know she, yes. But do you realize that makes it worse? If she's not saved? Uh-huh, I don't need to go any further, right? We are, all right, we got it. This is why Paul says in Philippians 3.8, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. For his sake, I have suffered all loss, and I consider every benefit as rubbish, as trash, to knowing who he is. The truth is, my friends, the chair of self crumbles at the sacrifice of the cross, at the worth of the Savior. All of those things of perceived value have no value in the light of Jesus Christ. Because then there was Simon the stigma wearer, and he chooses the Savior over himself. He faces a whole group of people who say, who do you think you are? I know what you are. You think you're better than us, but I know your past. He was willing to be side-eyed by the crowd and inconvenienced by his Savior. Come on. There was a lot of people to feed there. It took a lot of energy to host those folks. He was forced to be around people who felt differently about Jesus than he did, but he chose to honor Jesus. He recognized Jesus was at his table. And, he, and, and even though there were people who came who he didn't invite, he chose to make space for them because he recognized their desire to honor the one who was honorable, who was Jesus. Come on. It would have been easy to be like, this is my moment with Jesus. This is my time with Jesus. But he had to let someone else he had to be willing to let someone else be the lead in his play. Sure, he paid the bill and he laid out the spread, but honoring Jesus means that no, it's no longer my table. It's no longer my play. It's no longer my show. It is now all his, all of it. The truth is, my friends, choosing the chair of the Savior over self means we're willing to make room for others to take the center stage in making Jesus feel loved and valued and seen and honored. Because all that matters is Jesus being honored and my, my feelings being soothed. This is what loving God with all my heart is. This is what seeking first the kingdom of God really looks like. Creating a lifestyle that is centered on creating space for Jesus to receive honor. How do I create space as a husband to make sure Jesus is honored in my marriage? How do I create space in my marketplace and in my integrity and in this relationship so that Jesus is honored? How do I make space in church in my Fours or shoulders so that Jesus is, how do I make space in my mind and what I think about and what I talk about, what I focus on so that Jesus is honored? This, this is choosing his chair over mine. And then there's the woman as we close who may or may not have been Mary of Bethany. 
But she certainly chooses the Savior over self. At the cost of the crowd thinking, what a waste of life, what a waste of resources. And in those moments, unfortunately, inside our head, our soul joins the chorus of the crowd and says, do you know what you could have done with that time? Do you know what you could do with that tithe? Do you know what you could do with all the energy that you just wasted? But she came there for one purpose, to anoint Jesus, to bless Jesus, to love on her Jesus. Some obviously went for the food and fellowship, but she went to bless Jesus. Why are we coming to the house of God? Come on, somebody. Why are we coming to the house of God? Is it to get some food and some fellowship, or are we coming in the morning to bless Jesus, to love Jesus. When we get up in the morning, are we just looking for some good food and fellowship to get us to the end of the day, or are we intentionally coming to bless Jesus? She came prepared. It wasn't spontaneous. This was intentional worship. This alabaster flask was worth 300 denarii. A denarii is a day's wage. That is almost a year's wages. In today's value, it would be $62,000. And she broke it. No, she didn't break it. That Greek word says she crushed it. So everything that was in it came out of it. So she couldn't reuse it. It was a complete sacrifice. And with it, she just anointed Jesus. She just anointed Jesus. Isn't this a kingly moment? Doesn't it remind you of 1 Samuel 16 when Samuel takes the anointing oil and he spreads it all over David's head to become the king? This is a moment of anointing the king. My friends, can I encourage you? There is a cost to anointing Jesus as king of our lives. No, no, no. He already paid the price, the cost, to be anointed king of the universe. But there is a personal cost to you and I to anointing Jesus as king of our lives. Come on, what extravagant worship. What extravagant worship. Oh, I got to end. I'm out of time. But through her extravagant worship, she was telling Jesus, I don't care what anyone else's opinion of me is except yours. I don't care. You are worthy to be praised with everything I've got. Let them be indignant. Let them have vitriol towards me. Let let them criticize me. But I'm going to worship you with extravagance. How could our house look if we worshiped him with extravagance? How could our relationship look, our marketplace look, if we said, I don't care, I'm all in for Jesus? Do you know what Jesus' response was to her, by the way? Um, they're like, tell her to shut up. And he's like, the entire world will remember her. The entire world will remember her. The entire world would not remember the perfume or the manufacturer of the perfume or the brand of the perfume. They would remember the extravagant worship of what she gave to Jesus. And in one moment of worship, She changed the aroma of the room. One moment of worship. She changed the aroma of the room. She changed it from sweat and dirt and outside and the smells that life happened on us by choosing the Savior's chair 
She released a fragrant aroma into the room. 2 Corinthians 2.15 says that we are Christ's aroma to the world. When you and I choose to honor him and anoint him as king of our lives, king of that moment, king of that choice, more valuable than what people think, more valuable than what I can gain, more valuable than the secrets I can keep. When I actually release that, it changes the aroma and the spiritual atmosphere in your relationship, in your marriage, in your marketplace, with people. Have you ever realized, have you ever recognized, have you ever walked into this room and some days been like, there's something different right now. Have you ever walked into, oh, there's something going on. There's something different. Stage hasn't changed, light's still on. Paint hasn't changed. Do you know what it has, something happened in the room. People came in saying, you know, I'm gonna worship through my pain. God, I'm gonna get up a little early. I'm gonna change the atmosphere. I'm gonna actually, it's gonna, it's going to cry. I'm going to crush my soul a little bit, but I'm going to change the atmosphere. There are two seats at every table. Two seats at every moment. Two seats at every relationship. The seat of choosing self over the Savior, still being a believer. And the seat of choosing the Savior over self and being a disciple. And when we choose this chair, the aroma in the room changes. The only question you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth it? No one else can answer that question for you. But is it worth it? My guess is today that some of us have been sitting in the wrong chairs. Maybe not all the time and not, maybe not in every instance. But sitting in the wrong chairs. Is today a day for you to switch chairs? To make a choice? You may feel crushed. <laughs> you may feel squeezed. But there's something that God is doing inside of you that needs to come out of you so it can change the atmosphere around you. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray that if you're here today and you're honestly saying, man, today I need to surrender that you pray this prayer with me from the bottom of your heart. We're all gonna pray together, but there's this moment where it's not enough just to have Jesus as your Savior, because what he's asking to be is also your Lord. And it might be time to move from being in the crowd to being a part of the crew 
today is your day. It is worth it. It is worth it. It is, it, it, that 30 pieces of silver you're getting to soothe your soul ain't worth it. But Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. The Bible says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door of their heart to me, I will come in and I will dine with them and they will dine with me. Today is that day. So will you just pray with me? Just say, dear Lord Jesus, here I am today. I've come to surrender my life. All that I am, all that I have, all that I ever will be, I'm willingly giving it to you. I denounce all of my own agenda. I am seeking first your kingdom. I'm asking you, Jesus, to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Forgive me of all my sins for trying to do it my way. Today I choose to sit in your chair, to live a life that gives you honor, that gives you glory, that gives you praise. I open my life to all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, can we give Jesus a praise and glory? Hallelujah, Lord God, I thank you today for who you are. Hey, my friends, I know today is probably one of those days that we have to go back and kind of just think through and process through some of this. But can I encourage you today? If when you think about it or even before you leave, if you take some time with the Holy Spirit and you really feel like there's a change that needs to happen inside of you, I'm going to ask you to do something physically. Like I said, it doesn't have to be here. It could be home. Could be in your office tomorrow, wherever the Holy Spirit is moving. But physically get up and change chairs. And say, I will, soul, that is not my chair any longer. Soul, I denounce everything that that chair values. And I choose Jesus to value you above it all. There was nothing special about the anointing oil. It was a point of contact for faith. There's nothing special about going under the water. There's no magic. You're not saved by being baptized under the water. It's a point of faith. There's something that happens when we physically do something as an act of faith that tells our soul, you're not in control anymore. I'm all in for Jesus, and I don't care what anyone thinks. What could our life look like with that kind of extravagant worship? Well, talking about worship, I'm going to turn the service over to the birthday boy today. He's going to come and encourage us as we close with our offerings and giving. And Can you guys give Kev one more hand? Love this guy, so fantastic. <laughs>